Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for the second half of a two-part episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, if you are... If you have clicked on this and you did not listen to the first part of my conversation with uh, comic book creator Mark Sable, I would strongly recommend you go ahead and listen to that. That was the last episode that dropped. Um, and this is the second half of that conversation. And um, if you heard the first ca- half, you know uh, very clearly by now he is one of the more interesting people I have ever had on this show. And uh, in addition to talking about the Knicks, we hit on a lot of other uh, very interesting topics. Um, more Knicks uh, stuff today, and then we end with some other stuff, which uh, I, I think you'll really enjoy, um, including the direction that... Um, you know, comics are going and how the the movies and all that that have come out over the last bunch of years, uh, how that all plays into it. Um, plus, in addition to the conclusion of my conversation with Mark Sable, I also have at the end of this episode, odds maker Raphael Esparza. So you've heard me doing the my bookie ads for. You know, a month or two now. And, uh, you know, we decided to kick it up a notch and be like, well, what, what is going on behind all of these, you know, betting lines anyway? So Rafael Esparza is my bookie's head odds maker. He came on and talked about some of the, you know, science that goes into making betting lines. And, um, he, you know, talked about some of the lines that are up for, you know, coming into the finals and, and, uh, we touched on the NBA draft and how he's going to go about making prop bets for that. Really, really interesting, quick conversation. He was only on for about 12, 13 minutes. Um, which is, you know what? One more reminder because we do it every episode. Uh, if you are someone who enjoys, uh, having a little extra fun with your sporting events and you are not signed up yet for my bookie. What are you doing with your life? My bookie is right there for you for the NFL, for the NBA, what's left of it. Um, any other sporting events you want. And if you're not signed up yet, use promo code overtime to double your first deposit. Don't forget. If you use that promo code overtime, new players get up to a thousand dollars in free play. So that means if you bet, or if you uh, put you know five hundred dollars into your account, you're gonna get five hundred dollars free. If you put seven fifty into your account, you get seven fifty free. If you put fifty bucks into your account, you'll get fifty free. All you gotta do is you use that promo code overtime, and um, you'll be right there for it. Plus, because we want to give away an extra bonus, if you take a screen grab of your MyBookie account after you sign up and you email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. You'll be eligible to win $500 cash that they're giving away at the end of this month. So one more time, take a screen grab after you sign up um, of your uh, book of my bookie account. Email that screen grab to overtime at advertisecast.com and you'll be eligible to win $500 at the end of this month. Without further ado, here's the second half of my conversation with comic book creator Mark Sable. I do want to get your opinion on something though, because back to the comics for just one second, you, your, your work. And I think to speaking to a larger, you know, point, um, independent comic books as a whole are maybe, I feel like, uh, the the attention that has been brought on comics as a potential source of hey we could option this for a series for a, a movie for whatever like there's more opportunities out there to make this this great um 
independent content. And I, I also want to ask you about what we have coming out before we, we get out of here. But at the same time, you know, you started writing in 2005 when uh, with Grounded for for Image. And that was four years or maybe three years before Iron Man came out. Uh, I mean, like the X-Men stuff had already come out and like that had started to change things. And I think, you know, maybe Batman Begins was had already come out. So yes. it's like things were starting to change, but it was not... You know, now, I mean, they, uh, I, I've, I, I have in my head wondered, like, since, like, you know, other than, like, you know, actors adopting method and, like, um, you know, color being brought and sound being brought to film, has anything affected how Hollywood operates more than comic books um, being made into films? Because it's like there are no stars anymore. Now your stars are it's Robert Downey Jr. is not your star. Iron Man is your star. So it has, it has changed everything. The exposure is, is whatever it's billions worth of exposure. Do you feel like the sum total of the effect that all this has had on comic books is a, is a net positive because of like the opportunities it brings, or do you feel like it's a net negative because it's become just so incredibly you know, commercialized. I hate to give you, give you an, uh, a, like a, not a concrete, I, I'd say it's mixed, right? Like, so first it's not, it's comic books are a big driver of it, but it's not just comic books. So I would say the big problem that, that people are facing in Hollywood, definitely in the movies and increasingly in TV is that they, it's, there's very little original IP, right? Like it's, if you're a screenwriter now, it's really hard to just like, do your own, just write your own story and get it made as a movie. Almost every successful movie is based on something that already exists. So maybe it's a comic book like all the Avengers movies or I think the, the biggest thing that's had the effect on comics probably Walking Dead, right? Like because that was oh, the yeah. first non-superhero thing to do well and to do well on TV and it just reached this huge audience. Um, but, you know, it's beyond that. It's like Harry Potter books or spinoffs of the Harry Potter books. It's... Um, you know, it's Star Wars. It's um, all of which are things that I love, you know, um, but it's like, yeah, it's crowding out. Like, um, so like you name almost anything. It's based on a book. It's based on a comic. It's based on a video game. It's based on. And that it's sad because I think there is it, it pushes out really original stuff. I mean, Game of Thrones, which I love, which is great. Like that, you know, that was based on a successful book series, um, you know. It, it, I'm talking about things that, that for the, you know, it, it's great that there's that, but you always, you still want there to be room for like, you know, a lot of comics people got upset when like Martin Scorsese is like, Oh yeah. The Avengers aren't, aren't, isn't cinema. And like people got really, a lot of comics fans. Got yeah, he really called it like a, a, like, a, a, a uh, amusement park ride. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and like, look, I think it's every movie is look, you know, there it's, there's always been movies that are more entertainment. You know, you can go back to Jaws, which I think is one of the greatest movies of all time, based on a book. It's, you could say that's more of an amusement park ride. Um, but I'm not hurt by, I understand where he's coming from because it's like, it's a lot harder to get, like, to get a movie like The Irishman made, you know, or, but let alone if he was starting out and trying to get Goodfellas made. Like, it's a, it's a hard thing to, you know, or Raging Bull. Like, that's, it, it's become harder to do that. So, so in terms of Hollywood, like, I think there's been a negative effect on comics. I think as a comic creator, I can only say like any kind of revenue and any kind of attention we can get is good. Um, 
comic books like in the nineties had this tremendous crash. Like there was, they were super like right around when image comics started, they were doing the best they'd ever had. You know, X-Men was selling like a million copies. That's like that now, was my comics. That was my comic book. So my comic book sweet spot was started right before they launched. Um, it was Uncanny X-Men was the one that launched in like 91 or 92, right? Or or was Uncanny the original one? So Uncanny was the original one. It was X-Men. Yes, yeah, sorry. The Jim Lee. Yes, 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 um, yes, 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 yes. Okay. X-Men, which like broke all records and and which was great. But what happened was there was a speculator where people who were not fans, but who thought like, wait a minute, um, this is going to be worth money. But like when you're selling a million copies of something and everybody's saving it, like. I remember when, they had all the different covers of that right, first they, one. You know, yeah, they would have and they got crazy with covers where they'd have like tin, you know, foil covers and oh, hologram covers. And I remember all that. Yeah. People who were not reading the books, who were just buying them, putting them in a bag and which has always been a contingent of comics, but it became way big and the market couldn't sustain that. And there was a crash that it's taken over a decade to really like recover from. And we still haven't gotten back up to those numbers. Oh, really? Um, so the fact I that, didn't know I mean, that. Okay. comics are doing well, and obviously the Avengers have helped that. I think, you know, Walking Dead has helped that. Um, now you're seeing stuff that like, what's exciting to me, although I will tend not to like, I'll watch all the Avengers stuff um, you know, Marvel stuff, I think it's really well made and it's just, I can, it, it's, it's less close to what I'm doing. So I think I can just enjoy it more, but like, I haven't watched, even though I've heard great things about it, like the boys or umbrella Academy, but it's good to see those books do well. Cause those are, those are indie books, even if they have a superhero sure, element yeah. to them. And that means that's more money for the creators. And there's like this terrible tradition in comics of creators getting screwed, going back to, um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who created Superman, getting like, like a, like a signing their rights away on the back of a check for like a hundred dollars or something crazy, um, to Jack Kirby and, and, and especially, but, and Stan Lee, like, you know, all, almost every character that's been a success in the Marvel movies were created by like one or two people. Right. Um, um, there, there are exceptions, but were created by these two guys who worked in the sixties and like, they they got a fra- they've gotten a fraction of the billions of dollars that those movies have made, let alone the merchandising, which is even more. So to see those that money go to creators um, is great. The ma- the negative part of it, but that's been there even before the the big success is that there are definitely publishers. I was just having so I'll shout out to these people there uh, that I'm on a in this private DM list with comic creators who are NBA fans. Oh, wow. Um, it's oh, the most that's, that is awesome. Ever. I want to be I will, part of that. <laughs> I will, they're definitely going to listen to this podcast and, and you should maybe even have some of them on because I'm the only Knicks fan in the group. So I take, I take a lot, you know, and there's, you know, I take a lot of crap in that group, but, oh, I can um, imagine. but it's fun. But we're just talking today about how there are certain publishers whose raison d'etre is like not to make the best comic book, but to make a comic that's going to get turned into a movie. And they'll get some Hollywood money um, or some like venture capital money. And they'll just like put out a bunch of comics hoping that it's basically the like, let's hope one of these is a home run rather than like, let's get some like solid, like, that's you know, base crazy. Hits. And it's, I mean, it's not crazy. Be, it's not crazy at all, but it's, it's yeah. And I have mixed feelings about it because I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about, okay, well, can this ultimately become, uh, you know, a movie or a television show. 
and I'd like for that to happen. And I've, I've gotten closer. I've gotten option, which essentially means like they'll pay for, yeah, you for know, sure. they'll pay for a certain amount of time to try to get your movie made. Nothing's ever gotten past, gotten past the like getting made part. Um, so, but so I like that part of it. I like getting money and I like the opportunity that exists because of that. Um, and I like that. I think, look, you know, when I was a kid, it was, it was being like a comics nerd was not a cool thing. I see now just like a, with my nephews, but also just even the people who come to comic conventions now, it's, it's just a different thing. Like those. Oh, I could, I could attest to that. It's seeing kids in my school. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's no connotation anymore that it's a, you're a nerd or something like that. And it's great. And comics have also become just like more diverse. Like when I started going to comic conventions as a pro, the only women you would see there were either like with, with some exceptions were like the, the spouse of a, of a creator or, quote unquote, booth babes that were hired to dress scantily clad <laughs> to get people to come over. And now it's yes. like, at least the attendance is 50, 50. You're seeing more women, more people of color, like more LGBTQ. Like you're seeing a much more diverse, we have a long way to go with that. But I think again, all that the pop culture helped bring those people in and it's a good thing. Um, the bad thing is like, there are times, I know that there are comics that have been out that are just like people write a screenplay. It doesn't sell. It's called like a busted spec. And they'll be like, Oh, let me turn this into a comic. And you know, now sometimes that could still work out, but often that person in doesn't care about making it a good comic. They just want to get something so that when they go to a producer, a, they can be like, well, look, this, this has already sold some copies. Like, so like you already got a built in marketing audience. And you can also say to them, I mean, it's not, I don't want to make it sound like, it's a cliche that producers or development people are really stupid, but um, it does help for for them to have something that they can already visualize rather than have to imagine from a script. Well, it's a justification. It's like, you know, it's like making an, an MBA uh, signing or or trade. It's like the, you you may believe in the guy, you may not believe in the guy, but if you have some stats to point to and be like, see here, it's at least gives you something to fall back on. So I could see that. Yeah. So it's, and it's hard. Look, if you're, if that's your job is to read scripts all day, um, if you get to see pictures, it's like a treat, you know, and it's also easier to sell to your, because the higher you get up, the less the time their bosses want to be wasted w with having to read a lot of stuff <laughs> in the same way. Like I'm, I'm sure it is with an NBA team where it's like, all right, you're a scout. Like you don't want to go, go to like Leon Rose and be like, here's everybody I've looked at. Like, you want to just come with the like, you know, yeah, you boil like it down. Your yeah. top five people. And so, you know, having that helps that. So I think there's, you know, there's good and bad effects. I'd like to see, you know, I, I'm more concerned about it more, even though it, it may be against my interest. Like I'd like to see like film and TV kind of for there to be a bit more balance where people can do original stuff and it doesn't have to have existed in a prior medium. Um, I've been amazed that the Marvel movies have done, as well, they really have not missed, like, um, in terms of like, it's, un, it's amazing. It's it has I, to come to an end. You'd think at some point, but like, again, it shows you, you bring it back to, it's like Kevin Feige, who's basically been the main guy in charge of that has just, he's just really smart, um, and has done a really good job. And, you know, you hear rumors and I have no, like, you know, I have no way to know if this is true, but like, the star, like Disney wants to bring them over to the star Wars stuff. Cause the yeah. star Wars stuff has definitely been a lot more hit and miss. Um, 
but know, I feel so- like they're going to need to keep, and this is, it's funny. This is, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this and it, it kind of, and especially with your, you know, the future, uh, futurist stuff you do, I feel like whether it's, you're talking about building a basketball team or, or, you know, making movies or, or comic books for that matter. Like it's always about reinvention and being ahead of the next curve. And I feel like that's kind of what, Mar- that's how Marvel made their bones when they're like, well, it wasn't just making these movies. Well, it was, I think for a lot of people, it was while we didn't, we didn't realize, you know, comic book movies could be this like, you know, like guardians of the galaxy or, and I know Deadpool wasn't uh, a Marvel uh, MCU movie, but like that. And, you know, Logan or some other ones. Um, and I feel like it's going to, it's going to take, you know, constant reinvention uh, whether they could do it. I it, listen, who knows? But I, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious, but just to, you know, to speak to what you're, you're saying, I, I, and in terms of how many more people are in, like at comics conventions and everything, like I, I have to think that that's a good thing. Like at, at the end of the day, but the, like the more people that read this stuff, the more people maybe get inspired to write it and create it like that. Um, that me, makes me happy. That's been, yeah, it's been super happy for me to see the diversity in terms of, again, gender, race, age, right? Like, you know, it used to just be sweaty middle-aged men <laughs> of conventions. And it wasn't like, you wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to like take my nephews to this. Like now, yeah, kids are into it. There are older people that are into it. I do want to say two things. One thing that's funny is like, I just remembered that you're saying, you know, like who's coming to conventions that I remember seeing, um, uh, it was, it was one of the Lopez brothers came came to New York. Oh wow, yeah, which was pretty funny. I think it was Robin. Um, well, they're both fans, I believe. But, so they're both comic book fans. Yeah. But, so the only thing, one other thing, I thought that wasn't great, but I think I can relate it to the Knicks, which is about it, is that the problem that Mar- with Marvel and DC, and I've enjoyed working for them. I'd be happy to work for them again. Um, and it's not their fault. It's like so they're both owned now. So like Marvel's owned by Disney. Uh, DC is now not only worn by Warner Brothers, but owned by AT&T. And the problem is, is like, again, so, you know, we have this history where these old time creators got kind of screwed out of things. And that's why image exists, because image creators, for people who don't know, like, were the top creators at Marvel and DC, and they just left and formed their own thing. And like, I wouldn't have a job without those guys. I was, I was an image. I, I still have a, I have a spawn one signed by, um, Alan, uh, my God, uh, or wait, or Todd McFarlane. Sorry. I was getting, uh, I got, uh, civil street confused with, uh, yeah, yeah. I think, no, it's signed, signed by McFarlane. I think I have spawn one and four both signed by Todd McFarlane. Those are two of my most prized possessions. Like, yeah. But what I was going to say with it is that, so, you know, the, the, like they, on the one hand, they do comics are like R and D for these companies, right? Like, um, because yes, they're still mining Jack Kirby stuff, but like, if you go like in the two Avengers, in the two Avengers movies, like the bad guys, like the ones under Thanos, those are all created by a, a friend of mine named Jonathan Hickman. Like, um, oh, wow. Miles Morales, who was in into the spider verse, which was one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Oh, I think, I think you could argue it is the best, superhero movie of all it's up there just a wonderful movie oh i love it like brian michael bendis created uh who's who's a little older than me uh created uh 
Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen was actually created by uh, an artist that I work with named Robbie Rodriguez, um, who's just an awesome guy. And so, but like, and I think they were taken care of, but like most of the time, like they're, we don't get a piece, like if I write something for Marvel or DC, like I don't get a piece of it if it becomes a movie. Um, and yeah, that's not okay. Uh, that's, that's not fair. Forgetting about me personally, it's just like, they need to, I, I feel like if they're like, they're now that it's a, now that they're these parts of these big corporations, they expect, they want the, the comics companies to earn their money just on the comics. Um, which is a difficult proposition, especially in a year when you've had COVID and like there were two months, I think that comic stores were closed. Um, or comics just weren't even being printed, let alone the stores being closed. It's been a rough year. And like, as opposed to saying like, hey, like if you doubled the amount of money that they were spending on the actual comics, it would make a zero dent in the billion, you know, in the multi-billion dollar corporations. But you might have your next chance of generating another 10 years or more of like franchises. And I wish they would invest more in the comic creators. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to give them a piece of, and, and the comic publishers. It means editors, like everybody, artists. Doesn't necessarily even mean you have to give a piece of, I understand why they don't want to give the copyright, but like you could give, you know, I think you could, you could make more of incentive for creators to, like that's part of the problem then is that people like me, if I have a really good idea that I think can be, that's like a million dollar idea, I'm not going to take it to Marvel or DC. I'm going to try to do that on my own because on the chance that it does become a hit, like, you know, that's you, it's like Robert Kirkman who did Walking Dead. You, you bet on yourself. Um, you know, he doesn't have to share that money with anybody except his creators and, you know, AMC. But like, um, as opposed to had he done that, had he done Walking Dead at like Marvel or DC, he'd, he'd, get, a, he'd get a thank you at the end. Maybe he'd get to do a cameo like Stan Lee did. He'd have a fraction of the money. And so that doesn't mean when I get a Marvel job, don't get me wrong. Like I will put the same amount of energy into it that I do if it's my own thing, because I respect that it's a job I'm getting paid for. It's a character that people care about. Um, you know, I'm professional, but it's like the incentives are not, are not there. So that's one of the things that I wish all this Hollywood success would like inspire the, these corporations to put more money into the actual development of comics. That makes so much sense. And like, again, it's, it's maybe apples and oranges, but even, even in like content creation, you know, in, in any, in almost any walk of life, like, you know, I was, I was writing for SI, you know, Nick's uh, for however, you know, whatever, several months. And, you know, I, I would, <laughs> it's odd to talk about this, but like, I like the, the, you know, they were not paying a whole lot of money. Um, and I would obviously give those, those pieces my all, but like there was, there's a certain, like, I don't know you, that you, you don't invest. It's tough to invest yourself as much in a process when you know in the back of your mind like it, it's the the people it's almost like you maybe feel like they don't they don't value not that they don't value what you're doing but there's it's i want to say that but i don't feel like that's accurate but you know what i'm getting at right yeah but i do think there is some aspect to that where it's like look i mean not everything is about money sometimes sometimes it is just a little bit about like you know respect and and just and i've been i've been lucky i've been treated generally very well by Marvel and DC, the, you know, I was too, like, 
you know, I've, I've made choices to, to write outside of it. It's not that I don't like Marvel and DC and I'd be happy. Like, you know, if they called me up tomorrow, depending on what the character is, I, I, I you know, I, I'd be happy to do it. But yeah, there's just something about feeling like when it's your own thing, you're taking your own, you know, you're taking your own risks. There's a lot of, there, there's, but the reward is really sweet, you know, like, and, and you do feel like, you know, I'm not, I don't know. You don't feel like you're necessarily just a cog in the machine, which I think, you know, look, I've had jobs outside of comics when it's like that. And it's, it's, it's just anytime, you know, I think that's why sometimes just a little bit goes a long way to just tell people, yeah, money is, is great. But just even just making, making your employees feel, feel like you're valued, like, like their opinions count. It, it's a, it's a, you know, it's not nothing. Last thing, rather than I promise I'm gonna let you go. Um, you know, kind of being able to do it on in a way that is, you know, maybe more satisfying. Um, Aftershock is uh, what do you call it? The, the host of your next series? They're, 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 they're publishing. Yeah. They're, they're publisher. Um, Miskatonic. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read the description that you send me. Uh, so we got a crime horror book set in the Miskatonic Valley, uh, aka Lovecraft country which i have not gotten a chance to watch uh that yet and i need to do that in the 20s already i'm hooked i love early um 20th century america so it's set during america's first red scare when j edgar hoover sends one of the first female fbi agents again you got me hooked i love strong female leads and an ex-new york cop again loving this uh to investigate a series of what appear to be anarchist bombings hoping to round up radicals immigrants etc only for them to discover there is an occult conspiracy i love every bit of this this sounds like it's going to be awesome thank you when is yeah, this coming I, out and like what what's t- talk to me about this so it's yeah so the idea is it's uh keep trying to keep away it's like um it's uh well, if, for people who haven't watched Lovecraft Country or who don't know who H.P. Lovecraft is, H.P. Lovecraft was this, if you know Cthulhu, like the, this like, you know, big tentacled monster, like he's the creator of that. He was this horror writer, probably the most influential horror writer in the 20th century. You know, it's him or Stephen King. And, and in American history, it's, it's him, Stephen King and like Edgar Allan Poe. So it's set in the 20s. It's this mix. It's like boardwalk. It's like a horror version of boardwalk empire. So it is historic, has this basis in historical fact, which is like, if you watch Boardwalk Empire and you see the young J. Edgar Hoover, like he was not interested in like prohibition very much um, and rounding up bootleggers. Um, like he eventually gets dragged into it, but like he got his career rounding up, like there was something called the, um, there, were, there, were, there was something called the Palmer Raids, which was in the late teens um, there were some, there was an anarchist bombing. Uh, they tried to blow up the attorney general of the United States along with some, um, like very wealthy people. I want to say like, I don't know if it was, forget if it's like Rockefellers or Vanderbilt, Vanderbilts. So there were, and, um, there were genuinely some bombings, but like, not to say, uh, but you know, drawing some parallel, I'll just say drawing parallels with now, there was a real overreaction to it. So Hoover, who was then head of the Bureau of Investigation, has starts rounding up tens of thousands of people who are suspected radicals, um, many of them who are immigrants, most of them who are innocent, because if there weren't 10, there weren't 30,000, you know, terrorists in the United States at that point. Um, and so this is this period. And as Hoover's taking up over the, the, this bureau, um, 
on the good side, he's making it more scientific and more professional. He's also driving out um, women. There were three FBI agents when he started. There would not be another female FBI agent until, I want to say, 1973, whenever Hoover died. Wow. He kept them out. Um, Holy shit. I did not know that. I, and this is something I didn't know until, until I started researching this book. So, you know, um, and so my idea is that, so H.P. Lovecraft writes these stories that take place in the Miskatonic Valley is fictional, but it's based on, um, so Arkham, Massachusetts is like the, the fictional town where they get Arkham Asylum from later in the DC comics uh, and stuff like that. Okay. And it's, it's basically based on Salem and New England. And he writes these horror stories, which are, um, all about this, these like, you know, secret cults and exist like these existential threats that basically can't be defeated, but can only be sort of be pushed away. And they drive everybody insane. Um, all his protagonists winds up getting insane. The problem with H.P. Lovecraft is that he's unfortunately was this terrible, racist, xenophobic, anti-Semite. Um, seems to have like maybe come around on that later, late in his life. But like, you know, um, and it's it's there in a lot of his stories, even though they're great stories. And so um, what Lovecraft Country, the show on on HBO and the, the, the novel, which is actually very good, did was sort of do a take on his stories like in the 50s with all African-American protagonists and oh, sort of yes. tackle okay. the racism. Um, mine kind of it's it's a crime book where they're investigating these bombings and it has this supernatural thing. So it's a very X-Files feel, although it's a period piece. But it's, you know, it's sort of examining, drawing parallels between, again, we're in this period, I think, where like, um, you know, look, people are getting rounded up, especially immigrants. Um, you know, there is this sort of, you know, you want to call it a rise of fascism, rise of authoritarianism, whatever you want to call it. It's a scary time. Um, there's also a lot of unrest. Um, and looking at HP Lovecraft stories and taking the good stuff about it, which is all the horror stuff, but having like, like he would never have a female protagonist in it. Right. Um, and reversing some of the thing where, okay, the immigrants in the story aren't the bad guys. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not to say like, it's not supposed to be a preachy book where you're supposed to walk away and think like, Oh wait, immigrants are, immigrants are okay. Like if you don't believe that coming into the book, if you think immigrants are bad coming into the book, you're not going to come away thinking immigrants are good. Like, you know, I, I don't really believe if you're that, have that much hatred, like your, your, your mind's going to be convinced, but it's more just like, I think it is an interesting angle on it. And ultimately my idea is hopefully just to like, you know, scare people and have suspense. And if you learn a little bit about American history, that's great. But it's like, um, I'm not, I'm always trying to strike that balance where I'm fascinated by that stuff. And I think that like, if you have that knowledge just like if you've read H.P. Lovecraft, there is um, there's Easter eggs. But if you haven't, then it's all going to come across as new and cool to you. If you know about that period in history, um, you might find, you know, you might be like, oh, that's cool that somebody else knows about it. Um, or, you know, maybe you draw parallels that are that are with some of the stuff that's going going on today. A lot of times what I like about writing is that readers will draw parallels that I didn't even see. So I try to treat my readers as intelligent because they are smart, like not just mine. I think like readers in general of comics are, I, I think as writers, we often don't give them enough credit for like, I mean, just go to a movie and you can see like, watch the audience. They'll, they can pick up on what's going to happen next. You can see from their physical reaction. So, you know, 
never want to preach to them. I always, to, to my, to, to my readers, I, you know, I always want them to be able to, you know, yeah, I hope you learn something, I guess, but I want you to be entertained and I want you to come and feel like you can form your own opinions. But that said, yeah, I think, so hopefully it's cool. It is, um, it's going to be out November, I believe November 11th. But the weird way that comics works is that if you de definitely want to guarantee that you're going to get the book, the best way to go is to go to a comic store now or go to Comixology, which is a way to get books digitally and pre-order it. If you go to a comic store, which is, I hate asking people to do, because it's like, you know, you want to be able to go to the store and flip through it, but it's just the way the business works is that to like, so they know how many to print. And so it doesn't sell out. Like it has, it's the best no, way to do it. It's changing. Yeah. But that said, if you go, it's usually free to do it. Most stores, you know, you say, Hey, I want to pre-order this book. They're not, they don't, most stores will not take your money to do that. They'll just say like, oh, okay, we'll order it, come back in. And, you know, so, um, and I would encourage like, if you're, you know, if you're a fan, I always try to encourage people to support, you know, your local retailers. There's great ones. I'm assuming most of the fan base in New York. It's where I grew up. I mean, there's a ton of great, New York is probably maybe one of the best places in the world in the sense of like, there's so many great comic stores. I'm almost afraid that I'll forget some, but just like Midtown Comics, um, Oh God, um, Jim Hanley's universe, which started uh, on Staten Island. I, I was, uh, man, I would visit Jim. That was, that was my weekly trip. Jim Hanley's universe with my, with my dad. Those guys have always been super cool to me. Like it always, I was my, that was often my store when I would go and just, I'd love going in and feeling like I, you know, it's one of the things I miss in the pandemic is just like being able to go into the store and just chat with people, like not even as a creator, just as like a fan and be like, yeah, like. What do you think of this comic? What do you think of that? And so it's, it's a little bit tougher now. When those are, those are the days. Ugh, yeah. God, you're, you're, you're bringing me back, back here. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I, I just, you know, here's what, here's what I'm going to do. I, um, in the, uh, when I, when I tweet out this episode and, and, um, all that, I, why, why don't I make sure there's a, a link to, um, you know, if there's a, a, a link to, for people who do want to order this, um, I will, I will send you a link. And also if people want to hit me up, I'm, I'm at Mark Sable at Twitter. If you got any questions about it, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty accessible. I mean, if I'll deal with angry Nets fans, like I'm happy <laughs> to deal with anything, pretty much anything. Well, no one should be angry, angry at you. Um, you are, there's, there's two things I want to say. One, um, it's inspiring to hear somebody talk about, uh, a creative pursuit that they are passionate about. Um, and the way you, you talk about what you do is uh, it's inspiring and I, I appreciate it. And I hope, uh, you know, even listen, if there's somebody out there listening, you know, maybe someone on the younger side who's like, you know what? And even if it's not comic books, who's like, I, I, I have this thing that I've always wanted to do. And like, clearly I want to be in a position where I could talk about something and love it as much as, you know, this person is talking about what they do. Um, and also the fact that what you produce is not only entertaining and not only thought provoking, um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's meaningful. Um, and like you said, uh, it, it, it evokes, you know, some things that we, we need to be thinking about. We should be thinking about, um, in, uh, you know, the year of our Lord 2020 here, uh, God, I can't wait till this year is over. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's important. Um, it is important work, uh, that you're doing. So I, I appreciate all of it. 
Um, I appreciate you coming on here to talk about it. And um, yeah, man, I'm excited for I'm I'm excited for when it drops. So we got about two months to go, but I'm I'm already looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, Thank you to your audience for for indulging having having a comic book guy on 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 a next podcast. Um, But mostly, thank you. I I genuinely like again. I I said this in the beginning, and you'll probably cut this, but I really, really uh, just I love the podcast. The it, it is my the first thing I do in the morning is clear out all my other emails so I can read. I can read yours. And, um, and, and I'm not going to cut that out. I, I, no, I, it, it really, it really is true. It's, it's a pleasure to find like good, really good in depth mixed journalism. That's not about like, you know, trying to, I, I feel like, and I, and you know, media gets a hard time in New York, but there, there are some people I just feel like I read something and it's just like, are you just trying to rile me up? You're still trying to get me mad about KP getting traded or like, you know, or like, what it came up recently of like, of like game seven of that was it with the anniversary, whatever it was of like, of, uh, you know, of like getting me upset about still about the rocket series, like of in, in 94. Like, so it's just like, Okay, don't don't don't, just, don't name any names. I I I've 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 I've, I've worked hard to develop <laughs> at least cordial no, 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 relationships. Actually, in people. fact, I think there there's a Knicks. Maybe I'm biased as a Knicks fan. I think there's like Knicks sports writers. There are really incredible. I mean, I'll, I'll you know I think look Chris Chris Herring. I guess is no longer there. Is no longer no. He, he is. He's book. doing five thirty eight. But no, it's it's a massively massively talented bunch. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's Vorkunov at, at the Atlantic is. I mean, sorry, the Atlantic at the Athletic is great. I mean, I, I'm afraid that I'll, all the people I'll leave out, but I feel like wow, it's a genuinely smart group, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's like I, I see other fan bases discuss stuff, and maybe I'm just not seeing the smarter people, but it's sometimes I just. I hear the most. You know, it's like listening to sports radio out in LA. I like I hear the most ridiculous. Just the most oh, ridiculous I, like trade stuff. It's it's I mean, not it's not comp- I don't think it's comparable. I think it, there's a there's a considerable difference between the average level of discourse that takes place about uh you know, I I I listen, I don't really talk about any other sports, so I can't speak to those, but I think New York, you're you're getting a higher caliber of of discussion. You're getting a how higher caliber of insight. It's just you know, but listen, we're New Yorkers. This is what we do. We we think about shit and we overthink about shit and we we over. It's just it's it's in our it's in the DNA. It's hey, it, it's what allows you to be a great. It partially probably what allows you to be a great comic book uh, creator because you think deeply into this stuff and it's it's again that's in your DNA. It's how you're built. Yeah, thinking way too deeply about you know things that are that are that are, that are in the larger scheme of things not important is. is eh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. If it's if it's if it's important to somebody, it's important. Yeah. No, that's true. So that you know. There you go. Um, okay. Mark Sable, this was fantastic. Um, I can't wait for the book to drop. I can't wait till I have you on again so we could talk about. Um, give me, give me, uh, last thing. Give me the one guy on the, the and it can't be RJ Barrett because that's cheating. Give me the one guy you're excited to see on, on next year's, uh, Knicks. Boy. Oh, man. Um, you know, um, man, I'm curious to see who they draft. I, I'm okay. just, well, who do you want to draft? You could answer oh, it that so way. That, that becomes, another, you know, that becomes a hard thing because it's like drafts are all over the place. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, you know, in a perfect world, LaMelo ball, like I'd love, you know, Killian Hayes seems like 
I could, could, but I, I'm going to try to keep an open mind to it. I'm honestly more excited to just see, like, I don't know who it is. I want to see. So, I mean, Mitchell Robinson is obviously the easy answer because he's just. Yes, it's not a wrong answer. That's a good answer. I, I want to see somebody. I want to be surprised by the development of a player. So okay. it could be Frank. It could be Knox. It could be DSJ. I want to see somebody. I want to see, like, I want my belief in this, in this new management and the new staff. Like, you know, somebody that, that Johnny Bryant's working with. I want to see somebody, like, take a step up. And yeah, it'd be great if it's RJ, but like it can be, it could be anybody, um, you know, so it, it, it's also hard to say again, because who, we don't know who's going to, going to be there. And, you know, it, it would have been easier in past years when it was like, when we had a great player. I don't think we have anybody. I mean, the, the, the most negative thing I can say is like, I'm not sure that we have a foundational piece. It seems like, you know, Mitch and RJ are the closest things we have to that and that we're still going to need to get that is is the is the depressing thing. And listen, we're we're we're, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. But you I'm never hopeful know. Because I do believe like every one of these hires like you know, scouting everything seems like, you know, maybe with the exception of like the, the guy they hired for PR, but like, um, uh, but like, <laughs> I, I got to give a shout out to Nick's PR. He, he is a, a, he is a tough job. Uh, don't say uh, that. No, no, no. I, I'm, 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 I am kidding. And, and yeah. I oh wait, you're talking about job. Steve Stout. Oh no. To hell with Steve yeah, Stout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. No, 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 no. The, we don't, we don't need to praise Steve Stout on this the, podcast. The day to day work. No, they're, you know, that, 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 that's a, that's a really tough job. No, but seriously, like, I've been impressed with every assistant hire or pretty much every assistant hire, but like, I'm, you know, Kenny Payne, like all these guys, like weirdly, I'm more excited, even though I'm not going to see them play, I'm excited to see what they can do. And then we'll find out like, okay, are these, are these players like, are these, are these players real assets or not? Like, um, and real, I mean, I hate describing human beings as assets, but like, that's part of what we have no, to look listen, at. Sometimes, right? Like, a, is like, you're building a basketball team. It's like building a stock portfolio. <laughs> And, and yeah, I want to see what Dibs can do too. Like, again, like you were saying, yeah, to see a team come out and play, like play really hard, you know, play, you know, play good defense, you know, just, and to also just maybe just like, okay, so let's just get a point, a point guard and a shooter. <laughs> like, just like, I know you made that great list today. That was like, okay, well there's five things we want or whatever from each player, three things we want from each player. We're not going to get all three in every one, but just like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't let's exist. pick up some that have two. <laughs> And like, I'll take one fit. Like that's the, the disappointing thing with last year was not just, okay, we didn't get the big guys and we got, you know, it's just like, and we got some lesser guys. It was like, we got lesser guys that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense together and didn't make sense with the, with the who we drafted. I, I, you know, I can only think that they're really, I really don't think they had a plan B. I think they, they had to come up with plan B in a matter of days. Oh, I, I think they, I think they came up with plan B in a matter of hours. Um, yeah, but we, we don't, we don't have to talk about that, but I still, like I said, I still remain hopeful. And, and a large part of that's thanks to you. Cause, cause I think, you know, you've, you've been, you've made good arguments for why there should be hope. So I thank you. For I'm going to, I'm going to keep the hope alive. Um, stay on for half a sec. Uh, so I can say a proper goodbye. Okay, joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, if you have been listening for, well, I think actually my bookie has been with us for quite some time, but they've been back in a big way now that sports have been back over the last several weeks. So um, joining us courtesy of my bookie, he is the uh, head odds maker over there, Rafael Esparza. Rafael, thanks so much for coming on the program. 
Thanks for having me on. It's uh, always good to talk a little hoops when uh, when the whole world is being force fed football. But hey, there's still hoops going on in uh, our ends. Don't forget around the corner, we get the college basketball is making some some noise and when they're going to tip off. So I always love to talk about hoops during football pandemic. I mean, listen, even though the NFL has, has kicked off, um, I, I'd like to think that the NBA still has center stage because we're, you know, it's been a long, uh, long journey to get to this point and they're almost at the finish line, but we're not there yet. Um, so right now there are four teams still alive. Um, we're actually, so we're, this is going to run, um, in a couple, couple days, but we're, we're recording this, um, the, about an hour, I guess, before the Lakers and Nuggets tip off um you guys have the lakers as pretty sizable favorites right now i'm looking at it it's minus 425 so two things um for our listeners who may not be that familiar with gambling parlance could you say what does minus 425 mean and also um could you talk about why that number is uh, is what it is well, let's face it, they're up two games to nothing coming into uh, game three. Uh, if they win this game, I mean, I, I can't really what record they are. The Lakers are up two games to nothing in the playoff. It's absolutely going just huge. Uh, and they're minus 425 for a reason. They're playing the Denver Nuggets. We all thought this was going to be the Clippers playing the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. So uh, that has a lot to do with it as well. Minus 425 means... You need to ask your wife or your girlfriend for a bigger allowance because if you want to win a hundred dollars on the LA Lakers uh, to win an, an, the championship, you have to put up four hundred twenty-five dollars just to win a hundred dollars. So uh, the price is steep, uh, but uh, you know what? The, for what the what it is, it, it could be much worse if the, if it wasn't for the Miami Heat playing really good ball. Celtics are getting healthier. Uh, this number could be much worse. Let's see if the Celtics weren't. Uh, didn't even up, well, not even up that series. We're playing better, and Miami, Miami is maybe getting ready to sweep it. This could be minus six dollars for the LA Lakers, so it could be much worse. Uh, I would love to see a Miami Heat Lakers uh, finals. I think that'd be a really, really good uh, series. Do Do you think that there is any world where the Lakers get? Back? Let's assume that they beat the the Nuggets. Do you think that there's any world in the finals where the Lakers could get close to even odds, like? Let's say the Heat came in and, you know, really steamrolled them in game one, for instance, or the Celtics for that matter. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics obviously aren't out of this finals yet. Um, or do you just see like, you know, until something crazy happens, like, I don't know, they go down 3-0 or something, 3-1, um, the Lakers are, you're going to have to pay that premium to, to win with them. I think if the Celtics slash or Heat, I think if they go up 2-0 against the Lakers, then you can see something around that. Uh, or maybe or devastating. I shouldn't say devastating. Or an injury uh, from the from the power two. Because I'm let's face it, the Lakers only have two players on uh, on that team that can maybe ch- uh, change odds. And let's say if something happened in Game Three, knock on wood tonight or Game Four, or whatever. Uh, then we can probably see maybe some of the odds drift down because they won't be that big of a favorite. But I would think they would have to be down uh, either two zero against the Celtics slash Heat or. Last time I checked, I looked at my calendar. It still said 2020. Maybe the Denver Nuggets roll off three straight wins. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we can maybe see something uh, that way. So it can be very interesting to see what happens. Because, again, it's still 2020. I mean, I got to say, I'm looking at this Nuggets number of plus 3,300. That's, you know, it's not bad. It's tempting. Um, 
Okay, let's let's move over to the draft because um, you know it's it's already gotten delayed a couple times. It's now we seem set on it happening in the middle of November. I think November eighteenth is the exact date, so it's you know it's under two months away. Um, you guys are at the beginning of that process of, of putting up some bets. So why don't you talk to me about uh, what that's going to look like between now and draft day? Yeah, we did have it. We took it down. Uh, who's going to be the first overall pick? We also had who's going to be a second overall pick and third overall pick. Let's face it, Anthony Edwards is probably going to be the number one pick, I would guess, uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and it just shocks me to say this, but the number two overall pick is going to be a little ball going to Golden State. I mean, so that's uh. just... I don't I hate that. No, I, I mean, I love it, you know, for it's it makes sense on some level, but it's just ugh, I don't want to see him go there anyway. And then Wiseman will probably uh, be the third pick for Charlotte. And then everything else is pretty much, I think, up for grabs, a fourth pick for the Bulls. Maybe you can go for that one kid from Tel Aviv. Uh, the Cavaliers could maybe pick up, which I know you're if I was a Knicks, I would want this guy from the kid from Auburn, Isaac. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Okoro. Or yeah, something. you got it. You got it. I guess. Uh, I, I, if I'm the New York Knicks, I would hopefully he drops back. But I don't think uh, the Knicks will get lucky. But if you know, if also if you're a Knicks, maybe that guard from uh, Killian Hayes. I think he's going to be really good. He has really good passing skills. He can shoot the J. Uh, so uh, the eighth pick is not that bad. For your New York Knicks, I think I saw some mock draft taking the kid from Dayton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's he's showing up, and some of my some of my followers are are not none too pleased about that um, because yeah, he's, he may not be the best fit. Um, they, they're they're going to have options. You, but you were telling me before we started recording that like by the time draft day gets here, you're going to have like you know something like 40 different bets. What what goes into like, what are some of the types of things, maybe I should say, that people should expect to see on the board once draft day gets here? We'll have over under like uh, uh, rounds for like a say or draft picks for LaMelo Ball over under one and a half. Maybe he'll go number one. We'll have how many SEC players will be drafted in uh, in the NBA draft. So just a whole bunch of stuff. I, mean, I might even put suit colors. Uh, well, I guarantee you I'm going to have some uh, – uh, ball family uh, betting at uh, <laughs> that is again guarantee you but like I said I just try to keep it fun I try to keep it interactive and I try to make people hey if you're going to sit around and watch it maybe not put any money on it but hey print a sheet out of all the of all the prop bets and you can just follow through you don't have to put any money uh, I tell people just because I, I, I waste I shouldn't say waste I do all this time and effort to put all these prop bets it doesn't mean that I want everyone to put their heart or money on it just print it up and you can follow along I tell people when they were watching the Emmys on Sunday, don't you don't have to put ads on the Emmys, but you can just follow along. It's pretty fun doing it that way. Uh, I always enjoy it. You know, even, you know, making a $10 bet with some friends on uh, Oscar victories or Emmy victories, whatever it is. Um, I, I'm just curious one, one more on the draft. Like, I feel like it, that's not something that people have historically bet a lot on. Do you, do you guys see a lot of action on the draft? And is there, um, a higher or lower, you know, uh, frequency of, of people like hitting it big. Like how, how is it like when people bet the draft? Cause I'm honestly, I'm in the dark about it. We probably won't get that huge of an action. Uh, just when, just because of no disrespect to any of these kids or who we could see maybe the next, 
uh, uh, LeBron or Kobe or Seth Curry and a chef. We just don't know yet. But there's really no big name besides that. I think the top two, Ball uh, and uh, and uh, Edwards. So I think those are the only two people people maybe know about. So there's probably in the end. So we put the draft betting won't be big. Now, if it's on TV, it's going to be on TV. If there's nothing else going on in the sports betting world, we saw during the pandemic where if there's nothing on TV and there's one sporting event and there's odds on it, people are going to watch it and people are going to bet it through the house. We've seen huge numbers on Russian table tennis. We saw huge numbers on a KBO baseball, Korean baseball league at five in the morning. Cause you know what? Those were on TV. People were able to watch it. So if there's no other sporting event during the NBA draft, I can guarantee you uh, our marketing team will be uh, blowing it up through media, through social media and other stuff. And people will finally get to, hey, I got nothing else to bet on besides maybe betting some late night horse racing. Why don't I bet the NBA draft is on TV? It's going to be on TNT. Why don't I do that? So if that's the case, and even from, from an odds maker point of view, if that's the case, then I'll probably put up extra prop bets on it to capture that audience. But uh, if I find out who's a, who's going to be at the draft, is Charles Barkley going to be there? Is he going to say, I guarantee something that during that? Then I'll dive into more <laughs> uh, different ways to excite the NBA draft. So for me, I'm hoping that there's nothing else on TV sporting-wise during the NBA draft. Um one last one. I know we're not there yet, and I know there are obviously no numbers out for next season because we still have the draft, as you say, free agency to get to, lots of stuff. Um, at some point, the Knicks are going to have an over-under win total for next season. When when you are considering the number to put on a New York team, and I, I guess this would apply – well, let me ask you – because we hear a lot of times about how, it, again, it's not a predictor. It's the number that's going to get people to the most people to bet, you know, below the number and, and above the number. Are, are the are the New York over under odds, you know, a little higher because of that? Because you think that, well, there's, I don't know, more New Yorkers betting. Are they lower because of the reputation that the Knicks have? Like, how do you go about when you think about setting specifically the Knicks number um, going into, you know, a season? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Knicks back when I was a kid, when uh, Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing and all that, they were a big draw. And we always had to be careful on putting Knicks future odds to win their conference, their division, uh, and stuff like that, because we knew they were going to get some uh, plug into it. But now, I mean, no disrespect to any Knicks fans, my a good friend of mine. Uh, give a shout out, Greg Bianotti, who I think is one of the biggest Knicks fans I've ever met. Uh, would, would prove me wrong, but they're kind of almost like the laughing stock of the, especially the Eastern Conference. I think this year they're going to be uh, probably a lot younger. I love the coaching staff, so you figure that defense is probably going to play a lot better. But right now, we're probably going to have them as probably last uh, to win the NBA championship. They're probably going to be anywhere between 300 to 250 to one. Uh, to win it, right? Battling with Cleveland, Detroit, uh, maybe Charlotte, maybe Washington. Uh, but I guess, but it all depends on what happens during free agency, uh, the, the the draft. I mean, they 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 have nothing but upside, and I think they're going to do an upside because I like the movements that they're doing in the front office to being to put them in the upside. And I know everyone's going to talk about they're trying, they're maybe going to try to land a Greek freak or something like that. Baby steps. For, uh, for these teams, especially like New York, uh, you're, you're trending in the right place. Let's keep on trending on that right place. 
Yeah, well, I, I hope, if, you know, from your lips to God's ears. Um, yeah, hey, listen, uh, plus 350, that's a, you know, you could make a, a nice, a nice pretty penny. You never, crazy, crazier things have happened. Uh, maybe not. Um, but listen, th- this has been great. Um, so if you're, if someone's sitting at home and they're listening to this right now, can you just tell them, um, you know, where they can go if they want to start to look for those draft odds for, you know, uh, when the finals get started, all that stuff or wh- how, how do you go about doing this? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. You can find me on Instagram at Rafael Esparza. You can find all those NBA odds, NBA draft odds that we be coming up shortly over at mybookie.ag. And if you have any questions, uh, you can uh, go on Twitter and always ask me anything. I try to respond ASAP. So if you want a, a different kinds of Nick odds that you want me to post up or any, any kind of different NBA odds, that you don't see, that you might want to think that you may want to place a bet, feel free to chime on in. I only, I'm i always encouraged on different prop bets that people want to see. So highly, highly recommend following me over on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. Um, you know, I hope you don't regret saying that because I guarantee you at least one of my listeners is going to get in touch with you and ask you to post um, a Julius Randle uh, total turnovers um, line for for next season. And um, I, I, you know, I'm going to be interested to see what you would come up with with that. Um, I, will on that. Start, I will start researching that right now. <laughs> but I, you know, I've been watching a lot of Julius Randle film the last few days. I'm not sure I could recommend that to anybody's health, but it, it might be a, a fun exercise for you that you don't have to root for this team. Um, Rafael Esparza, thank you so much for coming on and uh, shedding a little light on the, my bookie and the whole process. Uh, we'll get you again on soon once the draft is closer. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We'll be back with you with another one very soon. 